The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. But we are working through the book of Matthew. We pick a book of the Bible and um, we will work through it to understand more of who God is and what he's doing in our lives and what he wants us to know about himself. And so we are looking at the book of Matthew because we want to understand who Jesus is and what he's doing, and what uh, he is all about. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us to understand God's word, because um, he loves to help us understand who he is and what he's saying to us. And then we will begin to look. uh, We're in Matthew 17, if you're trying to find where we're at. So Matthew 17 is where we're at. I'm going to pray for us first. Father, as we look at your word And understand the life of Jesus. I pray you would give us your spirit because um, we are a struggling church and we we need your help. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand who you are and what you are doing in Jesus and how you are strengthening us to depend on him. And you help us to see Jesus as sufficient for all our needs. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, This last week, uh, Bill sent me a sermon that he heard when he was uh, out of town last week. Uh, and it, um, it was not only just an incredibly encouraging sermon by an incredibly, incredibly uh, gifted uh, pastor in Acts 29, but um, one of the things that the, the guy was saying is uh, as they are working through the book of Joshua, they uh, are finding that they are directed by God not only just to kind of look at a book together, but that God had intended that book for them and that they are learning their life together and understanding more of who God is specifically uh, by each chapter that they're working through. What I mean by that is um, it's not just kind of like happenstance that we're working through a book together, but there's actually something that God has for us in that chapter or in those verses or in that book as we work through it. So as we're looking at the book of Matthew, we are not just saying, wow, look at all these really cool things about who Jesus is and isn't that really great? Actually, God has directed us to the book of Matthew to say, look at who I am, because there's something going on in your life together right now that you need from this particular moment in the book of Matthew for who you are and where you're at in the life of the church. And what we're looking at here, uh, we're in this section of the book of Matthew where Jesus is talking a lot about the life of the church. What does it mean to be his people, right? If, if you remember, we start out the book of Matthew saying, here's who Jesus is, the first four chapters, uh, the, the chapters that came after that, the Sermon on the Mount, and a couple after that, or this is what it's like to be in Jesus' kingdom. And then after that, it was looking at, this is Jesus' power and authority, and this is what it means for him to rule all things, and now he's inviting us to live in that. And so we are looking at chapter 17, and the main thing that we're looking at in chapter 17 is Jesus acknowledges and just says, you guys are a struggling group of people. <laughs> we struggle to be God's people. Um, and as we look through this chapter, what he is saying is, I'm okay with that because I'm sufficient for a struggling church. For a struggling church like us, and by the way, there is no subtext to this where I'm, I'm looking at each person and saying, you're, <laughs> you're who I'm thinking of as a struggling person. This is just a part of what it means to be a life of the body of church, Right? And I come in this morning and just thinking, you know, I struggle. I struggle to trust God. I struggle to be a pastor. I struggle with who Jesus is and what it means to be his disciple. 
And Jesus, if you're like me, he says, yeah, you're the type of person that I want to be in my family. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to just work through this chapter, and then we'll kind of swing back around and make a few observations about what Jesus is teaching us in this. So we're just going to pick up in verse 1 and start working through the chapter, guys. Verse 1 of chapter 17 in the book of Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Before we get to this next verse, isn't that amazing that here we ended chapter 16. If you remember what happens, uh, Peter says, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. And Jesus says to Peter, uh, get behind me, Satan. So it's a bit of a tense moment, so to speak. And here Jesus is. He's saying, you know what? Uh, My love is not uh, deterred. My love for you and care for you is not undermined because you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) He says, Peter, I want you and the other fumbling, foolish disciples, I want want you guys to come up with me. Because that's the nature of grace. Grace doesn't depend on how smart or good or stable we are. Actually, Grace comes to people who are instable and chaotic, like Peter and you and me. So six days later, they go up the mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Now, this is pulling from a whole bunch of images in the Old Testament where basically what's happening is Matthew's saying, and Jesus is revealing, I'm God. I am the Son of God. I, uh, my, I radiate light from my very face. <laughs> You see that his face shone like the sun, right? Have you ever, guys remember the eclipse that happened this last year? All the, like, it seemed like every news report that came out, don't look directly at the sun. It's bad for your eyes. <laughs> like, okay, thank you. I picked that up from, uh, what, 12 plus years of school. <laughs> but don't look at the sun. But here, Jesus' face is shone like a sun that you can look at and see who he is because it's revealing the glory of God. But it's not just that Jesus is God, but that Jesus is going up a mountain and he's repeating an image that we saw in the book of Exodus. Who goes up a mountain and meets God face to face? Actually, twice in the book of Exodus. Moses, right? Moses walks up the mountain to meet God, to, to, to hear from God. And then what actually, in the, book of Mo, in the book of Exodus, it says God revealed himself in a burning bush, right? A bush that was burning, but not consumed. And here we see Jesus revealing himself as God who would consume all creation in the fire of his wrath and yet gently and and graciously present. So you saw in the book of Exodus, God revealed in this burning bush, this miracle of God present in creation with his people. And here you have in Jesus, God himself present in creation with his people, repeating this picture of Moses going up to meet God and hear from who God is, and hear from God Himself. Let's pick up in verse three. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah, talking with Him. So this this isn't a solo uh, revelation. There's something specific being revealed here. So Jesus goes up and He reveals who He is. Says, "This is who I am." And then Moses and Elijah show up. So this would be like the Tom Brady and Gronk showing up from the Old Testament, right? These are the two main guys showing up. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the law interpreter. But, but that's Moses, who's the lawgiver, and then Elijah's kind of like the figurehead for all the prophets. 
revealing, this is how they interpret God's word to apply to God's word, all, uh, God's people. Um, so if you think about it, the, book of Mo, the books of Moses are the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that's the law. And then basically the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament is God's prophets applying it to a bunch of idiots who don't understand what God's saying. Right? That's why the Old Testament's so big, because God's people are so bad <laughs> and they need his help. And so here, Moses and Elijah show up and they say, Jesus, you're the one that we've been pointing to. You're the one that reveals all of what's been going on in the Old Testament. You're the one that's, that is a culmination of everything that's been going on. And they have a conversation and they're talking. And then, right, as we should expect with the disciples, Peter starts talking. <laughs> right? I don't know, if, if you're new to the Bible, here's the thing. Peter represents all of us when it comes to trying to understand and be followers of Jesus. We are just, we foot and mouth disease all the time. It is happening. So Peter starts talking, verse four, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And if you wish, I will make three tents here and one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Now, what's, what's going on here is Peter is basically saying, like, Jesus, this is the best. Like, this is the culmination. Let's just kind of, like, solidify this and just we'll settle down. Let's just camp out. That you're revealing who you are, face shining like the sun. Moses, don't know where he came from. Here he is. Elijah, don't know where he came from. Here he is. Let's just... Let's just kind of make a theme park about this, and we'll settle in, and then everybody can come here and see who you are. And then God steps in. Heaven invades the moment. I don't know if you guys, uh, when we think about the heavens invading, it typically is a frightening thought. If you think about the, uh, the Avengers movies, right? Right? There's all these moments where, uh, actually, I don't know if you remember that moment in the, the first Avengers movie, where they're like, why are you making all these weapons of mass destruction? And he points to Thor and says, because of him, right? Because suddenly there's aliens, heaven is invading, and we've got to defend ourselves. That's the way we often think about it. You think about all like the alien movies. Very frightening. And here again, the heavens invading this moment. And Peter and the disciples, of course, <laughs> right, fall on their faces and are terrified. But then pick up on what Jesus says. But then Jesus came and touched them. Rest his hand. We almost imagine them on their face on the ground. Kind of like waking them up from a nap. Like, it's okay, guys. Saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Right here in this terrifying moment. This terrifying event of heaven invading. And by the way, this is the second time that God has spoken from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son whom I'm with whom I'm well pleased to listen to him. Do you remember the first time? It's when Jesus got baptized. Right? So here heaven has God the Father from heaven has spoken for a second time and said, This is my son. This is my boy. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. So heaven invades and says, Jesus, not only is he the Son of God, but he's endorsed by God the Father. He is the one that you are to listen to. And it's emphasized, right, just the way the, the, the sentence is structured here at the end of verse 8. They saw no one but Jesus only. He's the guy, 
right? If you ever wonder, why is your mission statement loving Jesus together? Because verse 8, Jesus only. He's the one we're going to focus on. And when they were coming down, pick up verse 9, when they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is uh, raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, why do the scribes say the first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah, he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So here, they've just been on the mountain. They've seen Jesus revealed for who he is. And they're like, okay, we saw Elijah there. And the scribes and the Pharisees were like, yeah, Elijah's going to come before the Messiah. Uh, why did we just see him? Like, where was he before this? Jesus saying, well, uh, their interpretation of the Old Testament is dead wrong. Um, he has come. John the Baptist, right? And, you know, the funny thing is that they didn't understand who John the Baptist was. And just like all the religious professionals of the Old Testament, they killed the prophet. Jesus says, that's going to happen to me too. That's the way of these, these things. God sends his, the, his messenger, the one who reveals who he is, and they're killed by the very people that he comes to reveal himself to. That sounds familiar. Picking up in verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, right, so you can imagine they're a big up, a mountain up at the top, and they come, there's a big crowd at the bottom where he's left his disciples. They come back to the crowd. A man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, free as an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Notice, this is the second father that showed up in the story, right? First, you have God the Father. This is my boy. I love him. Listen to him. And now we have another father in the story. My son is suffering. Would you help him? You, you hear his desperation, right? You hear his anguish over the darkness of his life, right? You hear, like, the, you imagine the, the story that, of, of what's going on with his son, right? He, he falls into the fire just randomly, Often, you can imagine what his son looks like, all the burns and scars, and then he falls in it. Potentially, it's like either like the water on the, 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 the lake's edge or maybe the water that's boiling on the fire. I'm not sure which one it is, but he's falling. In a, so you, his, just, you can hear the ache in his heart for his son. Oh, my boy, he is suffering. Oh, the darkness of what's going on. Jesus, I thought that maybe you would be able to help. And What's interesting is he comes and kneels before him and says, Lord, which is an act of worship, and Jesus does not correct him. He recognizes who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And the reason we paused here is because verse 17 is a bit of a strange verse. So let's read this, and we'll make a comment about it. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So who is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about this man in, de in just a desperate, I need you to help me, have mercy? No, I think what Jesus has his eye on, remember that he said, I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Jesus is responding to what his disciples have done. There's something that his disciples have done that Jesus is saying, you guys really screwed this one up. 
And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, him, and the boy was healed instantly. And the disciples came to him, to Jesus privately, and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to, said to them, Because of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So there's a couple things to say here, right? <laughs> First, Jesus is not saying all the, all the ways in which we ask for him to heal people and that he doesn't heal people is because they lack faith, right? Jesus is not saying uh, if you're not healed from whatever's going on physically, emotionally, spiritually, that it's because of you. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying here, I think what's going on is the disciples have used basically like a form, like they've used a form prayer, like, okay, uh, demon out. But they didn't have the faith depending on God for that. They, I think what's going on is, is less of a, they didn't do the prescription of faith right, and they didn't do the dependence right. I think they didn't depend on God for the healing correctly. That's what Jesus is going after. He is going after this formality of prayer. Did, did you, because he's, he's given them the, the power to heal, right? He's, chapter 10, verses 1 and 8, he said to the disciples, you've got the power now, now depend on me and go exercise it. I think what they've done is they've shifted their focus from depending on Jesus to just exercising his benefits, right? They've just said, okay, Jesus, we got the power, let's wield the sword. But they didn't look to Jesus to depend on him. All right, let's finish up this chapter, and then we'll make a few comments about this, guys. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to him, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. It's like they didn't hear the last thing that he said. <laughs> they are going to kill me. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And they were greatly distressed. Like, they just, they could not... They could not wrap their heads around the necessity of the cross. This is the second time, right? At the end of chapter 6, this is the, what Jesus got or Peter got rebuked for by Jesus. Remember at the end of chapter 16 where he says, uh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yep, you're right. I'm going to go die on a cross and rise from the dead. And then Peter says, uh, Jesus, you got it all wrong. He says, get behind me, Satan. This is the second time where Jesus has revealed who he is. He says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the cross and die. I think, again, just like Peter, we often undermine and we don't think about how serious sin is. Jesus, why is he going to the cross? It's not because he's sinful or has something to atone for. It's because he is going to save his people from their sins, the wrath of God that we deserve. And it, it, just, it's, it, it just does not make sense. We're good people. <laughs> We're decent people. Jesus say, no, you... You're just struggling to get your head around it. This is how bad. You, are not, you don't realize how bad this is. I must go. This is my plan. This is the whole Bible. The whole Bible is about this. The whole Bible, Moses and Elijah, is all pointing to the cross of Christ. He's picking that up and he's saying, it's about to happen, and they can't wrap their heads around it. Then verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two, uh, the collectors... Of uh, the two drachma tax, sorry, I didn't practice that word, went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Right. 
don't you find it funny that, I mean, here in this story, even taxes come up. <laughs> I mean, just how, either you want more taxes or you want less taxes. It doesn't matter. They're in the Bible. <laughs> so, and he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him and said, first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take tax or, toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And, he, and when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, this, then the sons are free, right? Who do, you, do you tax your kids, <laughs> 18 and under, in your house? <laughs> no, I, don't, I wish I could. It would help pay the rent and pay for the food, for my boys especially. They are just ravenous locusts. They just eat everything. I, can I just get a little bit of some payback to help cover the expenses here? No, kids, they, they scot-free. They just walk on through. Uh, but whenever you come over, I do sur- charge a surcharge of five bucks for each dinner. No, I'm kidding. No, it, but you see Jesus' point, right? You don't charge your family for helping them out. But Jesus is pointing this at a different direction, right? Yeah, kids charge. Yeah, kids, they get allowance. That's right. Uh, then the sons are free. However, do not give, uh, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish, the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus is saying, look. Pay the tax anyways. It's going to be okay. And look, God's going to provide what you need to be able to pay the tax. So as we've been working through this story, have you been picking up how the disciples are struggling? Just a bunch of idiots, right? They just, they struggle. They struggle to see, okay, Jesus, we see your glory, but they struggle to understand what that means and putting it in perspective and how to understand it and depend on him, right? They struggle to understand God's word. Okay, it seems like things are, I'm not connecting the dots. They're struggling when it comes to just being faithful what God's told them to do. Go and pray for people and heal them and help them. And they struggle with the prayer dynamic of depending on God for his power rather than their own power. And you see how they're struggling to understand the cross is the center mark of the entire Bible and therefore the entire universe. They, they struggle to get that. And then they struggle to understand, okay, God, how do we, how do we trust you and follow you in your mission? They're struggling all through this story. And yet, who's the one who stays sufficient, who stays constant through the whole story? It's Jesus. So that's why we're looking through, through this. The main point of this chapter is Jesus is sufficient for a struggling church, right? Jesus is the only one in this story that is sufficient for all the struggles they engage. This, Jesus is sufficient for a struggling church. So we're just going to swing back through, and we're going to pick up four dynamics of what does it mean how are we struggling with, with who Jesus is? I think we're going to see that Jesus, we're going to underline more strongly how Jesus is sufficient for us. I'm just going to, first, the first section of the chapter, verses 1 through 13, the, the, the church, as a church, we struggle to see the veiled glory of Jesus, right? Remember, see how Jesus revealed who he was, we struggle to get it, struggle to depend on him. Want to camp out. This is just like if you ever have, if you go to a conference or a retreat and you have this incredible experience, God, who you are. I, I hate that you would call it the mountaintop experiences, right? It's because of this chapter right here. These mountaintop experiences of who God is. And we want to camp out here. We want to depend. We just, 
this is amazing. All the troubles of my life have faded away. And now I see and I experience who God is. I just want to be here. I don't want to go back to the bills. I don't want to go back to the work. I don't want to go back to the trials. I don't want to go back to any of that. But what happens here in this, this section to people who struggle, right? What does he say? Rise. This is my son. Right, verse 5. This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, what's interesting is that God the Father, when when this whole moment happens, he doesn't say, listen to him and stay here. He just says, listen to him. What's interesting is that Peter actually comments. This is one of the few moments in in the letters of Peter where he turns back and comments on his life with Jesus. And in 2 Peter, uh, verse 1, or chapter 1, he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's looking at this mountaintop experience. We were, I, I was there, y'all. I saw it. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the... Um, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And notice, he doesn't finish the sentence. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. In chapter 17 of Matthew, it says, listen to him. Follow with me how Peter fills that out. Because he's going to fill that out. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you see how Peter fills out that listen to him? He points to the Bible. You don't need to see Jesus reveal, revealed his face to be able to trust him and listen to him. You don't, need to see, you don't need to go to a mountaintop. You don't need to go to the top of the white mountains. Have an experience where you see Jesus face to face. To be able to listen to him. You listen to him by turning your eyes down and looking at your Bibles. That's where you listen to Jesus. That's, that's why Peter fills out, listen to him. And he says, you listen to him by going to the Bible, which never lies. It always guides you in direction. It reveals the outline of the face of Jesus Christ. Right? We struggle with the glory of Jesus because we want some incredible experience. And, and guys, we want powerful worship experiences. You don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. We, but the way we depend on him, this is my beloved son, listen to him. The way we depend on him is we look to God's word and we say, God, I'm struggling. Help me out. So I don't know what your Bible reading plan is, but guys, I just want to, I just want to continue to hit, are we reading our Bibles on a daily basis because we struggle to see who Jesus is amidst the darkness of our own lives in this world? I, I just, uh, I did, um, I would encourage, just as, a, as a, a note, I would encourage you to do slow Bible reading plans. I've done Bible reading plans where you read the whole Bible in a year. That's great. I think I've done four or five versions of that. So I've so I've read, you know, Bible four or five times. I've done versions where you read 10 chapters a day and you read through the Bible and like, you know, four times in a year. I just, you know what, for me, for me to be able to, to listen to what God is saying to me out of this book, 
and to see Jesus' face looking at me from the page. I need time, and I need a slow pace. I don't know what your Bible reading plan is, but I, I've stuck my life in the Psalms for the last four or five years. And I, right now, when and anybody, as you guys have been pr- asking, Jacob, how can we pray for you with you know the new baby and all that stuff? I've been in the Psalms of Ascent, so that's Psalm 120 through 134, and that's, that's where my life is right now. I'm only reading that. I mean, and then I, I read the sermon text for the week, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm not just kind of slinging it out up here. But I, so you guys, how can we pray for you? That's why I keep saying Psalm 121, because that's where my life, that's where I'm seeing Jesus' face. I see his face when I look at that verse, and I see, my God, where does my help come from? My help comes from you who made heaven and earth. Right? I, that's where I see his face speaking those words directly to me. I see his outline there. I don't know where it is for you. Maybe it is the Psalms. Maybe it's the book of Ephesians. Just getting in and digging down so that you see the outlines of Jesus' face. And you see it colored in. And you see him speaking these words directly to you. But the way that we fight to find Jesus sufficient amidst the struggles of seeing his glory... We look to his word and we live there because in his living word is where we see and experience his living face. And just like maybe you're like me, maybe you have recently just or just totally screwed it up. Well, that's why I think it's good that this chapter starts out with Peter. And six days after, when Jesus had just rebuked Peter, he still invites Peter in. His grace to meet you in his word is not dependent on how good you are at reading his Bible. So Jesus reveals his glory. Yeah, we struggle to see it. But the second thing, as a church, we struggle with the promises, with the promised power of Jesus. You see that with the demon, the demon-possessed little boy and his dad. And I feel this strongly. I don't know if you guys saw the news this last week um, with the uh, with Anthony Bourdain with his suicide. If you saw that, or just last week with the fashion designer Kate Spade and her suicide. That's a dark world. There are dark realities, and there is a darkness that this man is experiencing. Can you imagine what his life was like? And he comes. He struggles with the promised power of Jesus. That's how we often feel, right? The struggle is the darkness of our lives, right? Jesus, if you're all powerful, why fill in the blank? Right? Family struggles, uh, health struggles, work, financial financial struggles. But if you're all powerful, why? What is going on with this? Now, I'm not saying that the struggle is only because you lack faith, right? Don't. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the, the intention here is for us to depend on Jesus in this story, right? The, 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 the contrast is, are you going to depend on your power, disciples, for your strength? Or are you going to depend on Jesus for his power and his strength amidst the struggle? Right? It's not the amount of faith, but the faith and the power of God. I find this in my own life... Um, I, if I were to do an assessment of just kind of look back on like my pastoral care and my pastoral life, I do find often that I, I swing towards a form. Okay, here's just, I know this truth. Let me just kind of dish this out. 
I know this prayer. And we just kind of pray this prayer. Just like the disciples, we swing towards just kind of what we know. Because it's a, it's a, it's a risky business to depend on God and to trust his power. Because it means that the solution and the path forward is not always going to be clear, right? I recently received, I, 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 we believe, just as a note, we believe that God continues to speak to his people, uh, not authoritatively like his word, but he gives prophetic words just to encourage us and strengthen us in our life together. And I, um, just kind of the season we've been going through, I, I thought I received a prophetic word from the Lord. Um, your weakness is how your family will be made strong in me. Because I feel very weak right now with all the things going on with the baby and just kind of where we're at with our life together as a family. I just feel very, very weak. But that weakness is what God was saying. That's where your family's going to lean in and depend on my power. Are you trusting in his power for your struggles? Are you trusting in his goodness for where you're struggling? I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what's going on. But his power, you know, he doesn't, this father and his son, he doesn't go after them. He heals them. Are you trusting in his power for your struggles? Third thing, and we're going to move towards this pretty quickly. As a church, we struggle with the necessary death of Jesus. We struggle. As a church, either locally or corporately, we struggle to keep the death of Jesus as a center and corner front mark of our church. This is our life we, we always want to swing towards, uh, is there something better that we could, you know, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more, is there something that would be more engaging for people? Rather than saying, you're a horrible person and God loves you and he'd sent his son to die in your place so that you could be a beloved fam- family member of the family of God. <laughs> that, that's not the most like, can we give something better? Right, there's uh, uh, this, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Matt Chandler is, um, but we, we do this with the Bible all the time where we like, God, can we maybe make something a little bit more about me and less about you in the Bible? But he preached a sermon where he, preaching uh, from First Samuel 17 about David and Goliath, and he just starts out. He just says, "You are not David," <laughs> because that's the, the point of the story is that the, we are the quivering people, and God's one man goes out and he fights the serpent. Right, Goliath. He's got chainmail on. He is the serpent, and he kills him dead, so that God can free his people. Right, you're not David. Jesus is David. <laughs> We often want to make these stories not about Jesus' death and resurrection, but more about we are the ones who triumph, triumphant, right? But we are triumphant, but because it's not of how great we are, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. How are you connecting your life, the things that you're struggling, the struggles that you're facing, the things that we're processing, how are we intentionally connecting them to the death and resurrection of Jesus? That is always the question we need to wrestle with. We always, just like the disciples, want to veer towards this story in the Bible is about me, this principle is about me, how can I do this? We always, there are true things and practical things in the Bible for us to do. Don't get me wrong, right? Book of Proverbs, who's the wise, who's God's wisdom? Jesus. 
And he gives us the power and grace to be able to be wise people, right? But we always want to swing towards how are we keeping the cross and resurrection of Jesus at the center focal point of our lives so that Jesus is the one who gets the glory. Because if I'm David and if you're David, who gets the glory in that story? (laughs) David does. Then I get the glory. You get the glory. No, if Jesus is the story, if Jesus is the one who is the main point, he gets the glory as he saves you, just like David did in Goliath, and that he saves his people, and they enjoy the benefits. We get saved by Jesus through his cross and resurrection, and we get the benefits. So how are we keeping the cross at the center point? Are you connecting your deepest needs to, his, to this plan of the cross? We gotta, we're going to struggle, always. We need to be intentional. How do we keep his cross, the necessary death of Jesus, as a center point? And then the last section. We struggle as a church with the timely provision of Jesus. Isn't this true? Man, we are a church plant, and I'm just like, Jesus, um, we need your money. <laughs> Where's the, how are you going to help us? But Jesus says, no, join my mission, and I'm going to provide what you need. Right? That's... But, and the point, did you pick up on that? I thought it was interesting. But Jesus says, uh, however, verse 27, not to give offense to them. Right? Jesus wants them to, to hear who he is and to experience his, his gospel. Right? But he's also saying, look, there's ways that you could unintentionally offend them by not paying the tax. You don't have to pay the tax. But you could unintentionally offend them. So he's saying, look, uh, remove the barriers for how you can reach them be with them, and serve them, right? Uh, we don't want to be so weird from our neighbors that they just take offense of everything that we say or do. We want them to be offended by Jesus and not by our political opinions or not by our, you know, uh, whatever our recent slogan is or whatever kind of mantra we're trying to... I'm not saying don't have political opinions either, by the way. You should have those. But the point is that Jesus is saying... Make sure that the ways in which people are offended by you are not, are not you. <laughs> They're me. So remove the offense. So how can we be, this is why we're, we're here in this neighborhood for these people, for our neighbors, right? It's not us versus them. It's us for them because they are us and we are them. So, but that takes a lot of grace and a lot of intentionality. And the story ends by Jesus providing for those struggles, right? The mission's hard. He's going to provide for what we need. Do you, do you notice how the struggles of the church are met by very simple things? The Bible, prayer, Jesus' cross, and joining his mission, right? The church, we struggle as a church, and yet Jesus, in laying out what does it mean to be a part of his, depend on him, says, look to my word. Trust me in Trust me for my power in prayer. Connect your life to my cross. And then join my mission. You see, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is the one that holds us and keeps us. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. He's sufficient. He's good. He's the one we need. He's going to hold us and keep us.
amidst all of our struggles, Jesus is sufficient for a struggling church. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, need, we need more of Jesus because we struggle. We don't understand what's going on in our lives. We don't understand how your power connects to all the things that we need. We don't understand why we can't see you clearly. We often wander. But Jesus, you're sufficient. So I pray that you would help us by your spirit to depend on you and to see you as sufficient amidst all our struggles. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.